Welcome to the Immigrant Entrepreneurs Podcast, episode 49. My name is Alina Warwick, and today we have Spurthy Kumar on the show. Before we continue with this episode, I wanted to ask if you can share some love by subscribing to the podcast and leaving a rating. If you leave a rating, your name may be dropped in one of my future episodes. So stay tuned and connected. The coffee shop idea honestly came up just from a day of us going out to New Brunswick in New Jersey, which is like a small, unless semi-small town. Uh And we were just hanging around. We're like, hey, where can we go just get coffee? And the only two options were like Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts. (laughs) (laughs) And we were like, why is this the case? Spurthy was actually born in the States. But she went back to India with her family when she was five years old. Although she's a native born, she spent all of her young adult life in India up until 18 years old. She came back to the U.S. to study information technology and she did just fine, but only lasted two years in the corporate IT field. She quit her job cold turkey and wanted to do something spontaneous. She had absolutely no solid plans on what business she was going to start. So at 23 years old, she started a coffee shop in New Jersey with her business partner. Now, you gotta understand, Sporthy had absolutely no experience in starting a coffee shop. She was never a barista and neither was her business partner. Both of them had absolutely zero business experience. Her journey of how she started her first coffee shop was pretty astonishing. Now the coffee shop, Hidden Grounds, has five locations with 30 employees. So uh, let's dive right in and hear all about her journey. Spurthy, thank you so much for coming on the Immigrant Entrepreneurs Podcast. I truly appreciate your time and I'm super, super excited to hear all about your journey. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Alina. So let's talk about your immigrant journey. Tell us where you're from and when did you come to the United States? Sure. So I actually was born in New Jersey, but I went back to India. I'm from Bangalore. My family actually moved back to India when I was five. So I essentially grew up in India till I was 18. And I came here for college. So I came back to the US for college when I was 18 and have been here ever since. Okay. So you are the very first guest that was born in America, but went back to their hometown. So what was that journey like? Why did your parents move back to India? Yeah, that's a great question, because at that time, too, my dad got asked a lot as to why he was making the biggest mistake of his life. So, (laughs) you know, I think for him, my dad is an entrepreneur himself, and he sort of, you know, had a very successful company here in the U.S., but there was just something missing for him as far as wanting to be close to his family and just wanting to be in his country and wanting to be in the soil and wanting to help out the people back home. So it was really, you know, his drive where he was like, hey, you know, I'm at a point where I can get up and go back and sort of, you know, take my family with me. So, you know, obviously I didn't have a lot to say at that time. (laughs) five. So, you know, moving back was at the beginning, definitely a struggle. 
but luckily I was, I think, young enough that, you know, it was like the small things that really made a difference as far as the cultural change and the language maybe change and just the day-to-day sort of life changes. But honestly, after a year, I was pretty much fully adjusted to living back in Bangalore. So I wonder what it was your mom supportive of that as well, moving back? Yeah, she was. And, you know, she was actually finally she was pregnant at the time, too. So I'm not sure if it was exactly the right time for them to move. <laughs> but my dad is a very spontaneous but very organized person. So I think she kind of trusted his judgment enough to be like, OK, he will figure it out. <laughs> so I will go along this journey with him. But they were definitely thankful of moving back just to be closer to family. Got it. Got it. Okay. And so you said at 18 years old, you came back to go to school. Yes. And what did you study in school or what did you apply to study in school? Yeah. So at 18, I joined university and a lot of the drivers, again, sort of behind my family to be like, okay, we want you to sort of do your, you know, university education abroad, which was either like the US or the UK and US sort of made sense given that, well, I am a citizen. So it helped sort of like moving into that transition. And as far as studying, I did move into information systems and business. But at at 18, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I doubt a lot of people knew what they wanted. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So that choice of choosing to study that was definitely just something I read or studied about. And I was like, oh, this looks interesting. So let me kind of get into that. So yeah, I was more in sort of the tech business field. So growing up in India, did you pick up English in school? Is that was that like a mandatory language that everyone had to learn? Or how did you know English? Yeah, so English is like, I would say, you know, most commonly spoken language, even in India outside of generally the national language, which is Hindi. And then you have language is spoken in every state, which is like a different, you know, a different language itself. But yeah, a lot of like just your day-to-day life and newspapers and articles and things here on TV are in English. So, you know, it wasn't hard to learn English. And my school and education was also in English. So, you know, outside of my mother tongue, that was sort of the language that was widely spoken. And my father actually made it a point to also converse with us in English so that we don't sort of lose that. But, you know, at the very beginning, when we first moved, there's different sort of medium schools in India. So we did join a school where they were primarily taught in our mother tongue, which is Canada. That was very, very challenging because, you know, we knew a couple words when we were growing up, which was like, and my mother and I mostly speak in the language to read and to learn in the language is difficult, right? So that was definitely a little bit hard, but luckily I was only in that school for like two years until I think my parents kind of were like, okay, let's put you in a school where it is, you know, essentially taught in English. So, okay. So that made the transition a little bit easier to come to United States and study IT. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so what was it like growing up in India? I mean, it was great. It was lovely. It was a lot of love and laughter and fun and just a lot of trust too, I think, between like, you know, adults and children, you know, there was, I also grew up obviously when the digital sort of age just started, right? So the internet was just coming into horizon. And so I think, you know, kids being dependent on the tablets or the TV or, you know, social media was not obviously prevalent during that time. But also I feel like the culture was all about like, hey, 
get out and just go play. So as long as they can like hear you and semi see you, you're fine. So I just felt like I had a lot of freedom as a child to be able to just like go around my neighborhood and just play and be a little bit reckless and and just not worry about things. And obviously, you know, given that we're like the second highest populated country, you're not shy of having people around you. So, you know, there was always a kid to play with. There was always a cousin who wanted to come and, you know, hang out. And there was always friends. So as a child, I was like, I was very loving. And that, you know, that was very fortunate to have that. That's really good to hear. And growing up, did you always know that you were going to come back to the United States? It was more like a 50-50. There was a part of, I think, my upbringing where that was sort of what we were leaning towards. And, you know, it was mostly also the education that you got over here, especially when it comes to higher education. There were a lot more choices. I guess you can use the word better, but it was more as far as like what you wanted to study. There were way more options than, let's say, you could get in India. So yes, it was very much sort of promoted towards, you know, as far as like, hey, you should study in the US. But, you know, there was also other options available in India if I wanted to. And what about your brothers and sisters? Did they move back to United States as well? Yeah. So I have two other sisters. So there's three of us. And my elder sister pretty much had the same journey as I did as far as, yeah, she came back to the US and my younger sister and I have an age gap of almost five years. So she stayed in India for a little bit longer, but then she eventually did come here. So we're all three of us are here now. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Good. And when you came out to the United States to study, did you have any other family or friends that you were joining or did you just come by yourself and didn't have any connection to anyone? Yeah, my dad did travel with me to kind of drop me off to college. Okay. Um, But then, yeah, that was it. That was it, right? So as far as family, uh, you know, my elder sister was also in the U.S. at that time. She was studying in Boston and I was in Pittsburgh. But she was there, but she was in her own, you know, world as much as I was. So as far as family, no, not really. You know, we had maybe a few family friends here and there, but no one that we were like personally close to, to be like, oh, we'll go to that person's house or something Mm -hmm. break. So we grew up in a very independent lifestyle. And that that definitely, I guess, helped us while we moved from another, you know, to another country to here. So, yeah. Yeah. And oh, my goodness, at 18 years old coming to a completely different country. I mean, you did kind of experience it until you were five years old, but I'm sure those memories had faded. And yeah. you, I'm I'm sure you had to grow up overnight to come in at 18 years old. Oh my goodness. So no, I will say though, like, you know, again, maybe I'm downplaying myself, but you know, I, I came, I went into a university, right? So the environment that a university or college creates is, you know, it's fortunate because you have sort of, you live in a bubble, right? You have mm-hmm other immigrants there, you have people from all over the you know, world coming and studying. You know, you, you live in a dorm, you can have that sort of semi-shelter lifestyle. So I, I think for me, I didn't, at least at the beginning, maybe there was a little bit of like, oh my God, like, how does it work here? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, the currency is different or like, you know, like, how do you approach people? Like, so there was always a little bit of that hesitancy, but 
I think it really helped being in a college-like environment, right? I think I would have faced way more turmoil if I was like thrown into the real world. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get it. Yeah, totally. And so before you tell our listeners about your company, tell me a little bit more about the path you took. And I want to hear how in the world did you go from IT to opening up a coffee shop? Sure. Yeah. This journey, I always say, is the most spontaneous one I've ever taken yeah. <laughs> this day. So I studied IT and I, and I studied information systems and business in college. And I found a job. <laughs> I worked in the corporate sort of field. And honestly, after two years of doing that, I just wasn't feeling very happy and content. And I think I'm the type of person that sort of looks for challenges and looks for interesting you know, projects to do. And I felt like I was getting kind of boxed into this, you know, corporate world, which was just, which was just not me. So Mm -hmm. I took the step of quitting my job and then being at a point where I'm like, you know what, let me just kind of go to a whole other path. And honestly, at that time, I was really looking into the social entrepreneurship world because I felt like I came from such a strong tech background and my university was you know, a really good school. And I was like, okay, you know, I have that kind of skill set that I have built. And given that I always wanted to sort of do social good in the community, I felt like I could kind of merge the two and take that on. So my past really started trying to find jobs in that area. And I actually did land something. But at the same time, I met my business partner. Well, I knew my business partner from my past job, and we were very good friends. And his name is Anand Patel. And him and I were sort of always the co-conspirators as far as like coming up with ideas and discussing and, you know, really thinking about what we want to do in life. And the coffee shop idea honestly came up just from a day of us going out to New Brunswick in New Jersey, which is like a small, well, a semi-small town. Uh-huh. And we were just hanging around. We're like, hey, where can we go just get coffee? And the only two options were like Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts. and we were like why is this the case because you know we used to go to the in new york city a lot and we're like look at all these vibrant beautiful spots where you you know it funnels your creativity and we're like why isn't this the same you know why why don't we have these options closer to us and at that point we were working there so it really stemmed from there and us honestly looking at an empty space and being like, you know what, I think we can create that here. Okay, wait, Spurthy. So you quit your corporate job and now you're trying to see what you want to do next. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes. Okay. And so when you quit, you didn't have any side hustles or anything else going on. It was just like, you quit. Now you got to go figure something else out. You're right. That's why the whole social entrepreneurship was the path that I felt like I should take. My only side hustle was I was interviewing and sort of going down that path. Okay. So you didn't really have any like other income on the side coming through. This is like, <laughs> no, yes. <laughs> you quit. There's, yeah. there's no salary. <laughs> yeah, no, nothing coming through the bank account. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Awesome. And tell me what was that period of time where you're hanging around with now your business partner and looking for a coffee shop and you guys figured out there there's only two options. And how long was that? after you quit your job? I would say a little bit less than a year after okay. my job. We basically found a space and the conversation started with, do we want to open something? Do you think this is a good time to maybe actually do this? 
because at that time his journey was also coming to sort of an end kind of like what mine did as far as not being happy in the corporate world yeah I think that it was like one day where we had a real sort of honest discussion about do we want to do this you know do you want to open this do we want to open a coffee business and do we want to really look into that world of coffee and see where well this will take us and you know at that time I was 23 so <laughs> wow <laughs> from 18 to 23 I really sort of you know, gained all that much of knowledge, but it was a decision made that day where we're like, okay, we're going to go ahead and do this. What do we have to lose? And that's when the process started. Okay. So did you or your partner have any coffee experience or working at a coffee shop, knowing anything about the coffee business at all? (laughs) Yeah, we we had zero experience. Uh, Neither of us had experience running a business. Neither of us experienced worked in coffee. Uh, my business partner had only worked at McDonald's as far as like, you know, when he was younger from like a retail, but yeah. I hadn't even worked in like the food sort of retail industry. So we were starting from the scratch as far as like how we have to go about doing this. Okay. So tell me, where did you guys start off with? Did you guys sit in Dunkin' Donuts and start <laughs> jotting down <laughs> notes on where to begin? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't Dunkin' Donuts. It was like one of our apartments. We actually had a, maybe like okay. two of our closest friends over. And the first thing we started to do was just Google how to start a coffee business. <laughs> and, you know, we had a notepad and a you know pen and we just started writing down what we had to do. So we got as much information as we can from Google as far as opening something. And then with the friends there, we actually started just brainstorming names for our business even before thinking about how we're going to go about opening it. Yeah. Okay. So tell me how Hidden Grounds Coffee became to be. When we first opened that first location in 2013, it was really just an accumulation of coffee shops that my business partner and I had been to. And I'm a coffee fanatic. So I used to love drinking coffee. I needed it the first thing in the morning. And I wanted to have a good cup of coffee. And when by good, I mean like something that's sourced, not locally, but sourcing good coffee, brewing it in the right batches and having it just as is holds well as much as adding milk and sugar to that coffee. So I was definitely a little bit more of that coffee fanatic than my business partner was. But so when we first started Hidden Grounds, it was really just an accumulation of what we wanted sort of the coffee shop to be. But the one thing we knew was when we first started this, that we just didn't want to be a mom and pop shop and nothing wrong with that. But we knew that we didn't want to be just a singular shop. Now, we didn't know from day one as far as like how we would expand, but we just honestly thought about how can we make things seamlessly and effectively and run it as a business um, rather than run it from our hearts necessarily, right? So I think that background of looking at processes and being in efficiency is what our expertise was. Learning the craft of coffee kind of came later. The coffee industry is extremely expansive, right? So Just I'm going to give you a very quick breakdown because I can go into this. But, you know, you had your first wave of coffee, which was the instant coffee, the Folgers and everything else that people make in their homes. Mm -hmm. That's like you just mix it with hot water and bam, you know, you got coffee. 
the second wave of coffee education really came from Starbucks, right? Where they started to kind of popularize coffee as far as, you know, actually getting the beans and grinding it and brewing it and having like a good shot of espresso. And that culture obviously Mm -hmm. came from Italy, but then Starbucks kind of like normalized it in the U.S. And then you Mm -hmm. have your third wave, which is where we get extremely specialized about the coffee as far as like you have coffee shops like us where we source, we roast the coffee ourselves, we brew the coffee, but we figure out what ratios we want to brew it at. So we're getting very scientific with the approach of how you make that cup of coffee. And when we entered into the coffee industry at that time, the third wave was what was very, very popular and sort of coming up and about, right? So we did a lot of research in visiting coffee shops that were considered third wave. And a couple of them are like Blue Bottle, La Colombe. There's a whole lot of them. And we just sort of like observing and seeing how do they do it? What kind of espresso machines do they have? What kind of items they have in their menu? So a lot of it was R&D, right? So we just started researching and figuring out how we're going to kind of maybe use this as a foundation. And on top of that, add the things that we inherently want to find ourselves as unique. Right. Like Marcus as unique. And Spurthy, when you went to different coffee shops, did you like meet the owners and say, hey, tell me the espresso machine you use? Or did you kind of do this behind the scenes? (laughs) It depended on the type of coffee shops we did. So there were a couple like where the owners were definitely way more friendly. And, you know, they were open to kind of having that discussion and seeing us as, you know, these two kids that wanted to do something like, fine, we'll lend a hand, you know? Yeah. But a lot of it was, yeah, just researching online, you know, and being like, oh, I wonder what machine that is. And then, you know, calling some of these espresso machine companies and really understanding how the machine works and what we need to look for. So it was a lot of digging and researching to really understand, you know, what are those foundational pieces we really needed to have in order to build this business. So, and you wanted to make yourself unique. And how did you find that special uniqueness to your coffee shop? Yeah. So that's where the immigrant mentality comes in as far as yeah. my business partner is also an immigrant. So he and I have a similar journey as far as like coming into this country at around the same time and kind of, you know, building ourselves here. So that's the one thing we really wanted to kind of bring about was how do we bring our heritage and our culture into this third way without sort of like completely changing the dynamic of what we're doing. So the one thing I will say is we really kind of focused on outside of coffee, we focused on chai. Not all people know, but chai is essentially tea in our language, but it's we make it out of black tea and we boil it with milk and sugar, right? So that's what a traditional chai is made yeah. out of. And again, the concept of chai started to become a very popular in the past, what, three, four years made mainstream by Oprah, <laughs> made mainstream by uh-huh. a lot of celebrities because that was like the new trend that was up and coming in the beverage industry. So we kind of really took advantage of that and started to bring the chais we knew growing up in India and we knew that we were drinking and we knew the different flavors and introduced that within our coffee shops. You know, we still do that to this day. And I would say it is as popular as coffee that we make. So that is where we feel like we uniquely stand out because it really speaks to us as far as like bringing something that we grew up with in what we're doing. Wow. What an amazing journey. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. 
Okay, so what in the world is a nitro cold brew coffee? <laughs> is that wave number four? <laughs> no, those are that's the thing. That's all under wave number three at this point. I feel like wave number oh, four okay. is like instant coffee that you put in your freezer and then you can kind of make it at home. But that's a whole other, that's okay. a whole other you know R and D that's going on. But yeah, so nitro, so cold brew is essentially ground coffee that is steeped in cold water over a period of 15 to 20 hours. What that does is once you extract that coffee, you get this smooth, bold, iced coffee flavor, which is what people go crazy about. (laughs) And so instead of sort of processing the coffee over heat, you're kind of processing it by steeping in cold water, right? So it's just a different sort of extraction method, but it extracts sort of that bold, strong, chocolatey notes from your coffee so whether you're using an ethiopian coffee or a kenyan coffee or colombian coffee it's great because it kind of really produces these amazing notes from your coffee nitro cold brew is essentially nitrogen induced in your cold brew right so nitrogen gas induced in your cold brew Ooh, is that healthy you know what that's a good question (laughs) but i know it's not unhealthy (laughs) but honestly the idea really came from guinness So when Guinness was, you know, manufactured or the way it's brewed is it's infused with nitrogen instead of in general, a lot of beer is infused with carbon dioxide. So that's what gives Guinness that like thick sort of foaminess when it's served. So I guess some genius who probably worked (laughs) in the beer slash coffee industry, there's a lot of like similarities, I would say, as far as notes too probably came up with the idea of like, hey, why don't we induce cold brew with nitrogen gas and see what it tastes like? And so that's what nitro cold brew is. And the end result of it is it gives you that sort of chocolatey, bold, foamy flavor to your coffee. So that's why when you see it served, it kind of looks like Guinness because it has that like that foam on top as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for teaching me what nitro cold brew coffee is, because I had no idea what the process was like. And I'm like, I know it's popped in right now. Nitro cold brew everywhere. But I feel like it's a little bit on the bitter side for me. Like, I feel like it's definitely an acquired taste and I'm not there yet. So (laughs) yeah, honestly, how much they infuse it with nitrogen, right? Like we do serve it infused with nitrogen, but we don't pump up the gas to the point where it creates that foaminess, right? Because the gas does sort of enhance those notes of coffee. So you might be getting that bitterness because the gas did that to the coffee, right? Versus we don't try to like pump it up so much because we want to kind of maintain the foundational flavored notes of the coffee. And so how many locations do you guys have now? So we have five locations as of now, and we have outside of the five, we have one location, which is more like our warehouse where we roast our coffee from. Okay, got it. And when did you realize that you needed to expand and open up more locations? (laughs) I don't don't think there was like a certain time. Okay. (laughs) Maybe it was from the beginning, as I mentioned before, where we knew we did not want to be a mom and pop shop. Yeah. And this kind of, I mean, this maybe goes into some of the other questions you might want to ask, but it kind of came from the investment too for us to be like, hey, we need to start thinking aggressively as far as like how to expand and where to expand. That really drove us to be like, okay, we need to model the business in a way that we can replicate and do this. And I want to know when you guys first opened up your first coffee shop, did you start seeing some real traction in the beginning stages 
did you guys have a floodgates of just people coming and lining up? What was that transition like for you? <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> None, <laughs> of None of that. I still remember the first day I couldn't sleep that night. And um, we went in at like six in the morning to open the doors and no one came. <laughs> but no one came for a good four hours, I would say. <laughs> so you know, people thought we were like a hookah shop and they thought we were a bar. Like there was a lot of people coming in thinking we were something else and then leaving. So it was definitely not any of that. But yeah, you know, it just naturally we realized, okay, we need to advertise maybe in the right markets and kind of build that. And that's really where we started to focus our efforts on. Okay. And now where did you guys advertise? Did you guys do Facebook ads, Google ads, or like local markets? Or where did you guys put your marketing efforts in? So our first location is close to one of the main public universities, Rutgers. In okay. New Jersey. So we knew that our current demographic were students, right? So we really focused on sort of print ads and marketing via the school so we can get some traction with the students. And then from there, the second budget was mainly on social media. So even to this day, we have a budget every month that we spend on social media marketing because that is where we get the most traction. So on Instagram, it's probably number one. Then we have Facebook, Google, and like different map apps, so like Waze and such. Oh, okay. Yeah. And what about raising capital? Did you guys raise any capital to start your business? Yes, we did. So the first stop, we partly financed ourselves and part of it was raising that capital. And we were fortunate enough to get the help from our family to be able to take out a loan and do that. Okay. From the first to the second store, the second store, we financed through sort of the profits of the first store. And then from the second to the third, fourth, fifth, uh, we got another investment to be able to expand to that much. Is that through like a bank loan or venture? Yeah. Okay. So that was through the second investment was a bank loan. Yes. And through investors as well. Oh, okay. Great. And so now you guys have 30 employees Is that for all five locations? Yes. In your warehouse? Yes. Okay, got it, got it. And where do you guys source your coffee beans from? Yeah, so we source it from all over the world. Most of our coffee, I would say, around 70% comes mostly from South America. So we have coffee from Colombia, from Honduran. We get coffee from Peru. And then we also get coffee from parts of Africa. So we had a Kenya coffee. We're getting a Rwandan coffee, Ethiopia. So I would say mainly in the countries in Africa and in South America. But once in a while, we get like from Southeast Asia, from Indonesia as well. So wow. we kind of rotated out based off of what we're looking for during that time. And did you have to travel all over the world to find these farmers or these sources to bring the coffee beans back? Or how did that all happen? So that is sort of like I would say the next stage for us really is to sourced directly from the farmers because I feel like the way we expanded our business was way more down the chain of operations. So we were obviously a way more focused on retail and expanding retail and figuring out how to make that process more efficient and growing it to where it's sustainable. And now we're going sort of backwards in the chain of where are we sourcing our coffee from and how do we kind of like streamline that process? Because as of now, we do work with a third party vendor that sources our coffee for us. 
So their main job is to essentially go to all these countries and tie up with farmers and ship the coffee into their warehouse and we buy the coffee from them. We have had experience where I think it was like four or five years ago, there was a time when I really wanted to source coffee from India because India is one of the biggest coffee producers in the world. But a lot of the coffee that is produced in India, I think it's like 80% gets consumed in India and the 20% goes to Europe. <laughs> and a lot of the coffee gets used in Italy, actually, because they prefer sort of the Robustan coffee, which just tends to be a little bit more on the dark chocolatey bitter side, which is what you don't like as much. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's why a lot of Italian coffee, if you've had it, tastes similar to that, right? Mm. But there is, again, a tr- new trend where they're making more Arabica coffee, which is sourced really well and grown at higher elevations and processed to what the standards we hold to in countries like, you know, South America and in Africa, where people most likely source coffee from. So I did sort of start that journey, but I think expanding the stores kind of took a lot of time from me. But I would love to kind of go back to that and revisit that because that is eventually something that I would want to start back in. Yeah. And I'm really interested to know, how do you reinvest in yourself to keep up to date? Because you had absolutely no coffee experience prior to this. So there's a lot of things changing, I'm sure, in the coffee industry. So do you attend conferences? Do you are there coffee books that you read up on? Or like, how do you reinvest yourself to stay up to date? Yeah, honestly, the first three years was just that we were looking up coffee classes we can take. You know, I attended a couple in New York City. I don't remember the actual term, but it was like the American School of Coffee Business, basically a school for becoming a barista, you know, and I remember taking the class there. And to be honest, it wasn't that great. But at that time, like, that's all we kind of had, you know, if we wanted to start something, it was like, where do you go? So we really invested in looking up at blogs and, you know, there's a lot of magazines that are out there now, which is like Fresh Cup and Sprudge, which are like mainly sort of targeting the third wave coffee business as far as like teachings from how to be a good barista to what is the new machine that's out there. And there's obviously coffee conferences as well. There's a New York coffee festival that happens every year. Wow. Then there's like the coffee festival that happens worldwide. We haven't really gone outside of the country, but there's a ton of information that's out there. But I think what's the most important thing is in the end of the day, it's running a business. So it's also like outside of coffee, it's just like having that knowledge of how to run a business as well. So, you know, in that end of the spectrum, we got a lot of teachings from actually our own parents. You know, my business partner's father is also an entrepreneur and so is my father. So we really tapped into that, even though it was like a different industry, we really tapped into that as far as like, hey, how do you go about running a successful business? Like, how do you go about hiring good people? And how do you go about <laughs> creating processes and making sure they run effectively? So it was a bit of both for sure. Yeah, yeah. And both of your parents were still in India when you guys were starting this, right? So my parents were, my business partner's parents, they had moved to the U.S. So. Oh, okay. Got it. So I'm thinking, did you guys do like Skype calls to talk with your dad about, you know, all these questions that you had? Yeah, pretty much. It was like every night, you know, obviously with the time difference, it was like every night we were like get on the phone and kind of spew out what all issues we were having or 
questions we were having and yeah you know they did their best at least my father is best to answer as much as we can because he's more from the tech background so it was like i don't really know what kind of machine you need to buy right so that had to do with what you know the coffee side of it was very much us sort of learning as much as possible but the business side of it as far as like people management process management and all of that was you know he could tell it from his end of the business as far as how he runs the thing so i hear him and your partner's parents were kind of really big mentors in the beginning stages but i want to know did you have any other mentors that helped you out to start your coffee shop yeah you know we had a couple of coffee experts honestly that we became friends with through our journey, you know, people we met during conferences who we sort of like struck up a great conversation with and be like, hey, like, help us out. You know, how do we go about maybe going from where we are to something better? You know, we did definitely make some good mentors and friends out of that. But a lot of it was sort of self-learning and helping each other out. Like I always say to this day, I'm very thankful I have a business partner because I do see people who do it on their own and Man, I respect them so much. It's always good to have someone to kind of bounce ideas with, especially my business partner and I kind of come from two different sides of things and the way we think and the way we go about it. So it's, it's great to kind of have that back and forth and, you know, bring to the table whatever knowledge each of us have maybe seen or gained through our own research and to come in and be like, how do we do this? Yeah, so I'm hearing networking is really important for every entrepreneur. Is that right? I feel like asking for help is something that we all try to refrain from doing because we feel the need that we need to figure this out ourselves. And that is so not true. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like no one should be afraid to ask for help, you know, and I mean, I can very much clearly say I cannot be where I am and do what I am without the fact that I've asked for help, you know, and gotten that help. It's so important to know that, hey, if you don't have that strength or skill set and you don't feel like you can potentially build it, then you have to find that in someone else. So it's a matter of that too, which I, yeah, I think it's so important to be able to ask that. Yeah. And your journey speaks so, so powerful because you had absolutely no experience in the coffee industry at all. And in order to build this, kind of small empire of five locations, there's absolutely no way that one person can just figure everything out by themselves. So yeah, you're just shown proof and shown example that networking, asking for help, and then you can obviously see the successes from everyone's input and advice and help throughout the journey. Hands down. Yeah, you summarized it great. (laughs) So, Spriti, how do you stay productive throughout the days to ensure that all business things are taken care of? And I know, I'm sure every day is a wild day and crazy day for you, but do you have something that you kind of have like a habit of doing or running a checklist or, you know, sticky notes? Is there anything that keeps you stay productive? Yeah, I've tried so many different like productivity things. <laughs> things that millennials and Gen Z and Gen Y people always like share. And I'm like, oh, that might work um, to see like yeah. what is the best thing that sticks. But yeah, in general, you know, I definitely plan for the week. So I'm just like, okay, what are my short term goals? And 
for me, I love like writing things down because there's something about like actually putting things on paper and I feel maybe a little bit more accountable <laughs> with them and like crossing yeah. it off. So I do make a checklist generally for the week. I kind of prioritize things. So I'm like, okay, four things out of the list are maybe low priority and six things are high priority. So I try to plan it on such a way that I can get to the high priority and obviously do the rest. So for me, it's really about jotting things down and crossing things off because there's a sense of satisfaction when you do something. And I think the best thing about holding yourself accountable sometimes is letting someone else know that you have this project that you need to finish. Yeah. So for me, that's obviously my business partner because I'm like, hey, I'm going to work on this project for this store. I'm going to finish it by the end of the month. Yeah. <laughs> he holds me accountable. So that also helps in a way, you know, because it's a sort of a low key reminder to be like, oh, man, I have to get on this. Yeah, because, you know, he's going to ask at the end of the month and you got to you right. got to say that you at least started <laughs> it or completed yeah, it. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> OK, so let's talk a little bit about successes. Are there any successes that you would like to outline from your immigrant entrepreneur journey? Oh, man, the fact that being a woman <laughs> and yes. being an immigrant And being able to start something so young, I feel like obviously for me is that I have done something right and I am going to continue on that journey. The success for me is, yes, you know, we have opened these five locations and it's been only seven years. And that's great as far as numbers go. You know, for me, the successes in throughout all of this is what those three things that are outlined is the people that were met and the people that were impacted throughout this journey, right? So I think when I first started this, I didn't realize how much of torch, let's say, or pedestal that some people put me on or as far as look up to. And I think throughout the time, I realized that I have to hold myself accountable for that. And I want to hold myself accountable for that. So for me, those successes are impacting those people in the most possible way I can. And I think that I'm very fortunate to be able to have done that. Yeah. And you just don't know how many people are looking through your story and looking through your journey and saying, wow, she can do it. I can do it. So (laughs) good job. Yeah, even to this day, you know, it's like that one customer or someone who emails me or someone who reaches out and just like, oh, I heard your story and I saw your video on this. And it's so great because I want to do this. And then you get on that phone call and you talk to them and you share your story and you help them out in whatever way you can. Like, I remember those stories more than, you know, what I guess, like how many stores I've opened up in the end of the day. So I guess they go hand in hand, but um, it's continuing that journey, which is what I'm excited for. Yeah. Yeah. So powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. So what does the American dream mean to you? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> The million dollar question. <laughs> I mean, I've also never been asked that, right? Okay. <laughs> it's funny because I feel like my business partner always talks about that American dream, which is obviously coming to the country of endless possibilities, right? Right. But I think like even as a child or even as just growing up to me, like, yes, there was this glory of our coming to the US and being successful, right? And like having a great job and making enough money as possible. And I still think that is obviously the American dream. Mm -hmm. But for me, I think it's a matter of being able to do that in such a diverse place 
is so exciting, right? Because that to me is the dream. It's like you cannot get a place mm -hmm. like the U.S. or I mean, obviously that's where you are in the country, but where there is so much of that diverse possibilities with the people that you talk to and the people that you interact with and being able to create something that, you know, everyone wants and likes and wants to have is a dream in itself. You know, I don't think I can do what I'm doing in any other place necessarily. So we're having that kind of an impact, you know. So can anyone create and reach their American dream? For sure. I think that possibility is endless, <laughs> hands down. Definitely. Yeah. So Spriti, is giving back either volunteering time or giving back to the community that is something part of your business values? Definitely. You know, I think even growing up and just having those things as my personal value was it was sort of inbuilt in me. Again, that's something that my father kind of taught us from the very beginning that, hey, you know, success is all great. But if you don't do anything to kind of help the community and help the people, it's really nothing. For us, even with the business, you know, we, from a month to basis, we're always looking at things that we can kind of donate our time and money to. And we make that a point to be mm -hmm. like, hey, 10% of what we make is what we're going to give back. And we do have certain organizations that we constantly work with. We work with the homeless community a lot. Actually, we do, at least pre-COVID, we used to do, we used to serve dinners for the homeless around like Christmas, Thanksgiving, New Year's time. Easter and we would have the homeless community wow. come to our shops and we would feed them with an organization. So we love sort of collaborating with local organizations how much ever we can. But yeah, we do make it a point on a monthly basis to sort of give back as much as possible. Wow, that's so amazing. I love to hear that. And I think every single person on my show gives back in one way or another, which is another reason why immigrant entrepreneurs are so powerful in making the America's economies and bringing back the compassion and the serving part and giving back to the community, which is so amazing. So I love to hear that. So Spurthy, what's next for you? What are some business goals for the next couple of years? Anything you can share? <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely with COVID, <laughs> things have taken a bit of a turn, but you know, we're obviously trying to stay on track. I think for us, the next couple of years is we're just constantly thinking about how we can grow. And that doesn't necessarily always have to be from a retail end. But, you know, I think COVID has also given us the question of how to make things more virtual and more online in that end, just to be able to sustain yeah. as a business. So, you know, developing our online sort of portal and our sales sort of has been our project for a couple of months. I think for us, the business goals in the next couple of years is to really kind of just expand our brand and bring that recognition. Yeah. And I saw on your website, you guys have the, the yeah. chai <laughs> teas online. So anyone can purchase it, right? Yeah, they can purchase our teas and our coffee is online. So we serve them whole beans or we can grind them for you. And yeah, we ship them nationwide. So awesome. yeah, definitely. <laughs> if you are a coffee fanatic. Yeah, I love it. Is it, what are some things you would advise the next aspiring immigrant that wants to start their own business? You know, the only thing I can really say is don't let anyone stop you and don't be afraid to fail. So, you know, it might not happen that first time, but if you have the right vision and you have the right grit and it's, it's going to be worth it. So for me, obviously, you know, we say keep trying until <laughs> you can't try enough. <laughs> 
Yeah. And I think that's something that I always sort of tell myself. And I try to tell other people who ask me, like, what is that thing that you need in order to run your business? And for me, it's the grit, right? Mm -hmm. Because there are days that are wonderful and great and the business is running successfully. And there are days where you have to like come in and scrub the floors and wash the pots and pans and deal with very difficult people. So (laughs) you're going to have to do a bit of both. Yeah. But don't let that stop you. And I think as an immigrant, it's, you know, what we said before, but in a way it's inbuilt in us to kind of, you know, ride or die mentality. So I think they go very hand in hand. But yeah, don't let anyone stop you from dreaming and don't, you know, don't be afraid to fail. Mm, Well said. Oh my goodness. Wow. Thank you so much for wrapping it all up (laughs) and and beautifully said. Purthi, I wanted to thank you so much for coming on the Immigrant Entrepreneurs Podcast. Your journey is definitely one of a kind and I know it's going to inspire so many immigrants listening. So Thank you so much. And I wish you all the best of successes. Thank you so much for having me, Elena. I'm really glad we were able to do this. So thank you. Alrighty, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. If there are any links that were mentioned in this episode, make sure to check them out on my website under this episode to find all the links conveniently located in the show notes. I just wanted to ask for a quick favor. If you could please leave a review wherever you're at listening to this podcast. Also, if you're an immigrant entrepreneur and would love to be on my podcast, please email me and we'll get connected. I'll see you guys all next time for another exciting and impactful episode. Take care.